I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, here we are in the beginning of November, and what a month it is. There's just so much going on as we wrap up the liturgical year before we go into Advent, which begins the new liturgical year. Uh, And it starts off with a bang as we have All Saints Day. This is the day where we commemorate and ask for the intercession of all of those who have died and gone on and enjoy the beatific vision, Uh, all those who sit before the throne of God. And so not just those who have a feast day uh, on the church calendar, but this could be someone from your own life, someone that you were in relationship with, that just because they don't have a feast day, they haven't gone through the whole process of canonization, uh, doesn't mean that they're not before uh, God's presence. So those who have who have died, who have died in his friendship and have been perfectly purified uh, through the process of purgatory or through the process of suffering in this life, uh, they now are saints. And so we can ask for their intercession. Of course, you can't become a canonized saint until after you already are a saint. That's one of the reasons that we have the, um, the process of the miracles in the canonization process is to ensure that when we canonize the saint, that person actually is in heaven. So the miracle serves in a way as, as a proof, because if we ask for the intercession of a saint, uh, and or rather of a blessed or a venerable, and that prayer is answered in a miraculous way, we can have some assurance that they therefore are before the throne of God and interceding for us. Uh, and so we have that confidence in the church goes through a couple of these uh, in order to ensure that the person that they canonize actually is a saint. So there are plenty of saints that we don't necessarily have definitive declarations of the church uh, that they are so. But then we also uh, today on All Souls Day have the commemoration of all the faithful departed. Here is the day that we pray for all of those who have gone before us, our loved ones, uh, those who are in our parish communities who have died in the friendship of God, but might still have some purification to go through. And this was a topic that was um, difficult for me as a convert to really come to terms with, and still for those who uh, I am in relationship with, my family, extended family, they still have uh, really a hard time wrapping their heads around this doctrine of purgatory. Uh, and it doesn't help that the ideas or ways of explaining purgatory have changed and over time. And so they still have this really foreign, odd way of looking at, at purgatory. Uh, and so today we're going to spend some time looking at the topic. We're going to have a conversation in just a minute with uh, Father Quang Tran, who is a, a Jesuit father currently in, uh, in Boston. And he's going to share with us some insight about purgatory, about indulgences just a little bit, and about this process that we have of praying for those uh, who have gone before us. As we get started, there's this book uh, put out in 1945 by Bruce Marshall uh, called The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. And I found it because of a quote that was misattributed to G.K. Chesterton. And I did some research and, and found out that it was from this book, 
Uh, you may have heard the quote, but it's not related to this show, so I'm not going to talk about that specific one. Uh, I'll put it up on social media. You can find it by by going there. Uh, but the um, the quote that I want to bring out from this book, my wife, it's my wife's favorite quote around the topic of purgatory. Uh, and it's this, you, just as the book is beginning, you're following Father Smith as he rides uh, his bicycle on a Sunday morning to go to his, uh, to his parishes to preach. And he says this, uh, Instead, he begins to pray for the souls of all who must die and be judged that day, 140,000 of them according to the statistics. This he never found difficult because he was filled with pity for so many ignorant blasphemers, liars, cowards, misers, successful businessmen, and fornicators who must wake up in the last flutter of an eyelid to the awful realization that revelation was really true after all, and that the graph of their compromisings, bibblings, cruelties, wrenchings, and tattlings was going to be read out to them by Almighty God himself. He murmurs to himself, thinking of all the forgetful people he sees daily walking with vacant eyes along the ugly streets. For it is people like that who were dying, dull men in Moscow and Madrid, rattled old women in Perth and New York, gathered into God's basket like so many surprised, gasping fish. Of course, they won't all go to hell any more than they will all go to heaven. There is purgatory, wherein the weak and worldly are made clean, because even the best of men couldn't hope to go clod-hopping straight into God's presence after spending a lifetime talking about umbrellas and colds in the head. That's a little snippet from The World, The Flesh, and Father Smith, published in 1945 by Bruce Marshall. Fantastic little book. Uh, we picked up our copy, I think, on Amazon Used. You might be able to find it at a used bookstore. It's no longer in print, but there are plenty of copies still available, and it'd be well worth your time. Uh, just a delightful little book. And this gives us uh, maybe a little memento mori moment as we remember our deaths that there is something worth our attention. And it's not so much the little compromisings, bibblings, cruelties, winchings, and tattlings that we currently occupy ourselves with. Being mindful of our death in this, in this memento mori kind of a way ought to give us pause. We ought to evaluate the things that we give our attention to and the things that we speak about in light of the fact that we will give an account of every idle word, according to Scripture. And so hopefully, as we meditate on these things, we can begin to see what's really important. What are the things that we want to occupy our time with? What kind of legacy do we want to leave? And what kind of life do we want to live today? Whatever we do, I pray that you and I today will strive ever more to live in close relationship and unity with God so that God won't have to do much with us in terms of making us ready to be in his presence. A friend of mine says, I want to live my life so that when I get to heaven, there's no real big change. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk with Father Kwang Tran about purgatory, about indulgences, and about the faithful departed. It's a fantastic conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Well, happy All Souls Day as we celebrate our connection to the whole church. You know, when I um, first became Catholic, I, I my mind was expanded out of thinking of church as the congregation that I attended into looking at the church as the universal church. And then it kept expanding as I began to develop relationships and understand a little bit more of uh, our communion of saints with those who have gone before us and are before uh, God and the beatific vision. And then I'm still trying to push that boundary and understand even more of our connection to those who have died in the friendship of God, uh, but still need some purification. That's what we celebrate today as we have the commemoration of all the faithful departed here on All Souls Day. Uh, we're joined today to talk about that and maybe help us understand it a little bit better by Jesuit Father Quang Tron. Father, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And I first came across you, Father, on Twitter, where you have quite the interesting username. It's Let Me Tell You Something. <laughs> it has a lot of attitude. <laughs> Well, I asked around on Twitter to find out who might cover this topic with me, and you actually got thrown under the bus. A couple of people brought your name up. Uh, tell me a little bit about where your interest in this topic first really sprung up. Well, I grew up in New Orleans, and um, there's a rich devotional life there. And if you pass by some of our beautiful mon- uh, cemeteries, uh, all, many of them are, uh, the graves are above ground. So they're really, you're creating these little cities of, uh, of the dead and your family members live in this city and you go visit them. Uh, beautiful mausoleums, but also I grew up in a very uh, Catholic Vietnamese community and uh, being connected to the dead, being connected to our ancestors uh, was very important. And even today, you know, the devotional life in the Vietnamese community, they're constantly requesting uh, masses and prayers for the dead. Because back in the days, even before um, they were Christianized, there was a great deep devotion to uh, the ancestors and those who came before us. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I came from... So a... that got, my, got me interested, yeah. Yeah, I came from a Protestant background and was my, my formation in in the supernatural, specifically outside of, of the divine, uh, was Scooby-Doo, that there's no such thing as ghosts and that anything that uh, happens can be explained and probably is is just someone trying to trick us, right? Uh, and so that was yeah, yeah. kind of kicking around in the back of my head, not, not explicitly there, but still forming me as I came to think about what our connection is. You know, you, you have this, this picture of when I die, I am going to go to heaven, and there is a supernatural, but um, but thinking about it in terms of those who are around us also still being connected to us in that place, uh, whether they are still being purified or whether they're before the throne of God, that, that connection and responsibility to one another uh, just never really entered into my consciousness before um, I became Catholic. So yeah, yeah. right now, let's talk just a little bit about what purgatory is. I've got it somewhere that I want to get to specifically with regard to what's happening during these first eight days of November uh, and what the church gives to us and to the faithful departed in these eight days. But first, let's just talk about 
what purgatory even is, and that will lead us further into the discussion. Sure. Um, I just want to process that, you know, whatever ecumenical beliefs are, it's hard to deny that we all kind of want whichever religion we are, Buddhist, Catholic, Hindu, there's some kind of desire for our relationships to continue, you know? People still in other religions continue to offer food and burn paper money for their beloved dead. And on social media, when somebody dies, what happens? People continue to write on their Facebook walls. Even Protestants do, right? Uh, just to have some kind of connection with our loved ones. And that's why I would think, I, I usually say that purgatory is probably the most psychologically satisfying doctrine that we have. Um, it's, it's a reminder that the church continues even after death, that death is not greater than the church of Christ, right? That we continue to need one another's support and prayers and example. Uh, purgatory in the traditional sense is a place of and not a physical place, but a state of uh, purifying, preparing yourself to meet uh, God face to face. But, you know, there are different developments about what that means, right? And we can unpack that more. Um, because is it a place of torture? Is it something to be feared? Um, but um, the different, for example, Catherine Genoa and Benedict Sixteen have a different uh, reframe of what all that means. You know, I think of this question of, of suffering in purgatory, and we, we hear about the, the fires of purgatory. And uh, I've been in this place of, of deep suffering, and the suffering is there because of what is absent and what is, what is longed for. Uh, there have been times yeah, where yeah. I've been stuck on a plane, uh, taxiing far too long, and at the other end of that journey is my family. And I'm just... Yeah in agony, as it were, sitting on this uh, purgatorial plane, uh, waiting for whatever storm or whatever to clear out of the way so that the journey can, can continue so that that uh, restoration of relationship and, and reunion can take place. And so I think of the, the, the storms that we introduce into our own lives, that after we leave this earth and we leave these bodies, the things that we might still hold on to that hold up the plane. And so the suffering that's there is this, you know, as I look at it, this uh, desire to not let go of, of the thing that we hold tightly to, whether it be unforgiveness or uh, any other attachment and this deep desire and longing for this journey to finally be over and to be connected with the one that we love. I mean, I think that's a beautiful description of our desire to finish unfinished business, right? Mm -hmm. And the beauty of God's mercy is he makes it possible for us. Uh, the church's response is, it's not too late, right? It's not too late. Christ has conquered death. He is the bridge between the living and the dead. It is not too late to do something for your loved one. Mm -hmm. But also, there is the sin component to it, right? Why is it painful? Purgatory is like uh, sitting back 
and watching a, a video of all that you've done, good and bad, and seeing the effects of it taking place, right? But you're not watching it by yourself. You're watching it with Christ. You're watching with it with the church so that it's not meant for you to uh, be shameful and feeling overwhelmed with shame. It's watching it, feeling the pain of uh, what you've done and failed to do, right? Mm -hmm. But there's so much hope in it. Healing healing hurts. <laughs> you know, like we, uh, uh, I usually say, like, after getting your wisdom teeth out or a surgery, it's not the first day that hurts the most. It's the second day when mm -hmm. the healing begins. Right. I like this picture of watching a movie because I can relate to that really well of, you know, there's this, this thing that you watch and you enjoy it and you overlook some things and say, well, you know, there were a couple of parts in it that, that weren't all that great, but I loved the plot of the movie. And after a while you watch it a few times, you forget about those things. And then you, then you sit down with maybe another friend who has small children or, you know, we, we recently uh, sat our children down. We were so excited to introduce the Sandlot to them, this movie about baseball. Uh, and I had forgotten some yeah. of the things that were in there. And all of a sudden, every little thing jumped out. And it's kind of that way. Yeah. We, we overlook our own faults until we're sitting down and watching it with someone else. I like to look at it in a, uh, a very cosmic sense, too, you know. Even that piece of trash that you threw out the window when you were 13, in purgatory, you get to see how that affected the world and the environment. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a way of remembering that sin is not a, a personal act. Mm -hmm. It has a communal effect. It has a cosmic effect, right? And that God's mercy allows you to see it and to, in a way, make reparation for it with His grace. Yeah. There's this, um, this beautiful picture, I think, of what purgatory is in the writing of C.S. Lewis uh, in the story of uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, part of the Chronicles of Narnia children's series. Yeah, yeah. And in that, you have this character who is, has taken something out of greed, and he put it on, and it was this lovely bracelet. Well, it came to turn him into a dragon. And no matter how hard he tried, there was nothing he could do to undo what he had done. And it took a moment of, of pain and vulnerability uh, with Aslan, the, the God character, for that to be stripped off of him and for him to be purified and then again made to where he could re-enter into community in a way that would allow him to continue the journey. And this is the picture, one picture that I see of it, that the, the stuff that we take into purgatory is not necessarily within our own capacity to rid ourselves of. And we need That's divine right. assistance and we need the assistance of the whole church to be able to, uh, to shed those things that we carried with us out of this life and into the next. Exactly, exactly. And here's another beautiful aspect of purgatory. I mean, we don't want to get rid of like the painful part. You know, love is painful. Healing is painful, but we just remember, you know, it's, it's healing is painful, right? But we also remember that uh, purgatory is also a re-emphasis of God's respect of our free will, you know? It's, he's not going to rush us into joy. He's not going to rush us into consolation. He's not going to rush us to healing. You know, he takes us where we are 
we might not be ready to go to him. Uh, I mean, I don't know how completely we can with you know, on our own, right? We can't. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's even after death, we're still trying to draw closer and closer to him uh, and become more and more free to draw closer to him. But I always, I always say, for example, at funerals, and I've done many funerals, but let's think of it, our prayers are assisting, pushing, pulling our loved ones closer and closer to the Lord. You know, our loved one might not be ready for that immense love. You know, there's a great story. I forgot who told it, but, you know, purgatory is like uh, God's telling uh, you, uh, I love you, and then you blush, (laughs) you know? (laughs) You're not ready. You're not ready. (laughs) Uh, It's not that he's not ready. Right. uh, But the prayers and the sacrifices that we make for our brothers who have passed away, in the same way it prepares us in this life to love more freely, it still prepares our brothers and sisters in the next life Mm -hmm. to be open to that great love. We're talking on this All Souls Day with Father Kwang Tran of the Jesuits, talking about purgatory. And when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about indulgences and how we who are still alive can assist those who have gone before us. Why don't you join the conversation over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There's much more coming up right after this. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And today is All Souls Day, where we have a commemoration of all the faithful departed. It is not a holy day of obligation, but if you have the opportunity uh, to go to Mass, I encourage it. And specifically, I know in our area, uh, the, the bishops and the auxiliary bishops are all doing a Mass at a cemetery. And I want to encourage you to look in your diocese and see if that's also the case. And if so, see if you can make that specific Mass because something wonderful happens there where the church gives uh, to us the ability to pray in a very specific way for those who have gone before as a commemoration of all the faithful departed, where through that sacrifice of the Mass and through our sacrifice that we, that we give as we participate in that Mass, a plenary indulgence, a full remission of the temporal effects of sin may be applied to to someone, to one of the faithful departed, one of the holy souls in purgatory. We're talking today about this topic of purgatory and and of indulgences and the faithful departed with Father Kwang Tran, uh, SJ, currently a student at Boston College, a graduate student at Boston College, uh, ordained back in 2015. I've followed him on Twitter for some time, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. You can find him on Twitter at let me tell you something. That's L E M E. Tell the letter U and something. S U M T I N. Father, thanks for joining us again today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. So you have a little bit of that Narlin's uh, um, 
attitude there in your in your Twitter handle. I know. It's, it's because I kept saying, let me tell you something. And somebody said, maybe you should make that your Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't that what Twitter ultimately is? It's I want to I want to yeah. tell you, you pay attention now. Let me tell you something. All right. You can tell me some and I'll tell you some. <laughs> so we've, we've talked a little bit about purgatory in the last little bit about this, um, this idea of having something that we know isn't good for us and, and still yet really not quite wanting to let it go. And I, I see that in myself even here on earth uh, as I dwell in this body. And I can only imagine the, the time coming if I am not able to let go of these things, uh, what then happens when I'm no longer really able to make these changes? And so there's a doctrine about this, uh, and we have an opportunity as the church during these first eight days of November to do something about it. So talk a little bit about what an indulgence is, and then we'll talk about what the church gives us in these first eight days. An indulgence is... um okay, a remission of uh, temporal punishment due to sin already forgiven, right? That's the doctrinal definition of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not a free pass so you can sin, right? It's sin that's already been forgiven. And the question people always like, if it's already forgiven, what are you you paying back for, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, people quote scriptures, you know, the scriptures like every, every coin will be paid back. Right. And uh, you'll be trial by fire, you know, but um, if you just step back and think about the genius of this doctrine, uh, we talked about it when we talked about purgatory, that what are you going to do about these effects of sin? Right. What are you going to do about these effects of sin? And the truth is saying is not, uh, you're not done because you confessed it, right? Uh, there's penance. Penance is a remedy for healing the wounds that sin has caused. Of course, we don't do it alone. It is with Christ's uh, help and God, Christ's grace that healing happens. And so, but then on a psychological human level, right? I would say in the indulgence. Yes, there we have a bad rep in the in the middle of ages when it was abused and sold and that kind of stuff. But just because there's an abuse doesn't mean it makes a good thing bad, right? So I would say the genius of it is that knowing humans, we wouldn't do good things unless there's some kind of you know immediate uh, reward, right? Right. Like if you do this act, you'll get this indulgence, okay? But the thing is, the church is trying to encourage us to do these great, beautiful acts of love, devotion, and charity that opens us up to devotion, that opens us up to awe and reverence and to love, right? That acts are generally, these acts that are generally good in themselves, that the church is like, you know, they're good in themselves, but, you know, we're going to encourage you by saying you get this indulgence if you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, going, take a walk in the cemetery and pray for those who have gone before you is a good thing already, right? Besides any other reward. Uh, go on a three-day spiritual exercise. is a good thing already, but the church attaches these indulgences 
um, on a psychological human level, I would say it encourages even more to do the things that are, that we should be doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right. I mean, one so. of the things that we, we see is even the, the reading of scripture can have an indulgence exactly. attached to it. These are, and part of it yeah. is that looking at it from a different perspective, looking at it from a relational perspective, if I take the time to sit in, uh, and have a long conversation with my spouse, that's going to have good effects on the relationship beyond just the conversation. And in the same way, when we take the time to invest in these, uh, these acts of faith or these acts of, of formation, that's going to have positive effects on the, on the ultimately on the relationship with God beyond just that specific act. Exactly. I mean, we can sit and uh, what does it mean to, you know, uh, to have a plenary indulgence uh, where, I mean, the requirement, as you know, is confession, communion, um, pray for the Holy Father. And my favorite one, complete detachment from every single sin. You know, and what does that mean? Right. Otherwise, it's a partial indulgence. So right. you only get it partial. But besides those, you know, points of uh, theology, um, they're, they're, you know, they're, these acts, like I said, are themselves rewarding. If right. you're just joining us, we're talking today with so. Father Kwang Tron. And Father, you bring up a, a really interesting question. Um, one of the requirements for a, a plenary, a f- complete indulgence, is the detachment from all sins, even veni- venial sins. So what does that look like? And, you know, the, I've heard people say, is that even possible to be completely detached yeah. from any sins. What's, what's your take on I, that? I've, I reflected on this and, you know, I think one of the explanation is that it's a firm resolve not to sin no more. Like we try to make uh, as firmly as we can with every confession. But I also think there are moments in our lives, you know, there are moments where it's possible with grace, you know, uh, the disciple uh, was it Peter who said to Jesus, "Then who can be saved?" You know, right? That's a great question. But with God, all things are possible. So I think there are moments in our lives when we reach that point. You know, well, going and, back to Peter, another place where uh, everyone turns away in John six and uh, follows Christ no more, and he turns to the apostles and says, "Are you gonna Are you gonna leave me too?" And and I think of this in terms of that detachment from sin, uh, Peter says, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. And I, I think of, yes. you know, there's this, the re, the present reality that sin is still at our door. And yet this desire that, that I don't want any of that and nothing else makes sense other than to be with you. Uh, and so exactly. I, I look at that detachment from sin as being that turning away and saying, no, I'm not going to leave you even when it's hard or confusing because this is where I want to be more than anywhere else. Yes, yes, and we're not. We don't want to try to. We don't want to try to uh, nitpick our desires. We're not angels. We don't choose things wholly and completely all at once. You know, mm-hmm. with our will and with our hearts. But we we just trust that we believe we're giving the most we can give. You know, we're we 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 believe that we're able to say. Yes, as often as we can. Mm-hmm. And then whatever happens in the details 
we leave it to God's mercy. And so realizing our connection to one another, uh, our connection to yeah. the, the saints in heaven who are praying for us, but also the saints, the, those who have died in the friendship of God, who are still seeking purification, who still, uh, as if they were uh, on a deep dive and have to be reacclimated as they uh, come up. And, you know, you move too quickly and all of a sudden there's, uh, it can cause damage. Uh, and so yeah. God, who is merciful, uh, allows us to be acclimated to heaven as we enter into that presence. Uh, and we have responsibility yeah. here for their ascent in some way. Uh, and we do that yeah, through yeah. That, that spiritual act of mercy of praying for the, the living and the dead. And so the church yeah. gives us these indulgences in this day. So uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about how that indulgence specifically is gained uh, on the sake, for the sake of the faithful departed uh, on these eight days. Uh, oh, well, there are, I think you've named some of those acts already, right? Um, but we just remember, for example, visiting a cemetery or uh, praying the rosary or um, even short prayers like Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner, indulgences are, uh, are um, received and given. But what does that mean, right? <laughs> what does that mean? At funerals, uh, funerals and uh, on All Souls Days, I, I usually use this quote, and I don't know where it came from, but I love this quote. And it goes something like this. When my arms can't reach people who are close to my heart, I always hug them with my prayers, right? That prayer is not just any other act. It's some kind of, it's an act that reaches beyond space and time, right? And in the way that we still need each other uh, now, our beloved still need us uh, in the next life. And what does it what ultimately say? That God, and you mentioned this, God is so polite, right? He's not going to force us to, to be ready, right? He takes us where we are. He's not going to force us to go into his joy right. and the prayers of the saints prepare us the example of the saints prepare us mm-hmm. to enter into that joy right? yeah. and i love this picture of that ongoing relationship because those saints who are in the beatific vision they pray for us and they their example helps us to order our lives in such a way that we can prepare ourselves now to enter into that joy but then that also gives, we have that opportunity to pray for the holy souls in purgatory so that they might enter into that beatific vision and that, uh, that we all depend on one another. As Scripture says, that we are members of one another. And that relationship, that interdependence uh, from the church on earth and the church in purgatory and the church in heaven is ongoing and essential. Well, we've been talking with Father Kwang Tran of the Jesuits about purgatory and indulgences today. I hope you've been enriched by his insight. There's more to my conversation with him available to those who support the show through Patreon. You can find out more by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking the Patreon link. When we come back, we're going to be taking a dive into a reading from Scripture and from the encyclical Spe Salvi at the uh, at the recommendation of Father today. 
Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we've been talking with Father Quang Tran, who is a Jesuit, uh, currently out in Boston, and we talked about purgatory, indulgences, and more. If you missed any part of that conversation or you want to share this week's episode with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, we also have an extra segment with Father Kwong that's available to those who support the show through Patreon. I encourage you to go take a look at that. Over at OutsideTheWalls.com, up in the top right-hand corner, you'll find the link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and follow the instructions, and you can join the number of the community that help keep us on the air uh, for as little as $5 a month, and in return, get weekly extra segments with each of our guests. Well, we got a lot to still cover in this last segment, so I want to go ahead and move straight to our reading from Scripture and Church History. Uh, Our reading from Scripture comes from the readings from today. If you had the opportunity to go to Mass, you would have heard it. Uh, And this comes from the Book of Wisdom. The souls of the just are in the hand of God, and no torment shall touch them. They seemed in the view of the foolish to be dead, and their passing away was thought an affliction and they're going forth from us utter destruction. But they are in peace. For if before men indeed they be punished, yet is their hope full of immortality. Chastised a little, they shall be greatly blessed, because God tried them and found them worthy of himself. As gold in the furnace he proved them, and as sacrificial offerings he took them to himself. In the time of their visitation they shall shine, and shall dart about as sparks through stubble. They shall judge nations and rule over peoples, and the Lord shall be their king forever. Those who trust in him shall understand truth, and the faithful shall abide with him in love, because grace and mercy are with his holy ones, and his care is with his elect. That reading comes from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 3. For our reading from church history, we're not going to go back very far at all, Uh, We're going to go back to Pope Benedict and his encyclical Space Salvi, Saved in Hope. Uh, This comes from the, toward the end of it, uh, 46 and 47. And if we have time into paragraph 48, we're going to get as much of this in as we can, because it's a wonderful, beautiful picture of what the church teaches regarding purgatory. I encourage you to go read the whole thing. Uh, You can get to it for free on the Vatican website. Again, That's Space Salvi. We'll put a link up on our social media. But for now, let's go ahead and begin. For the great majority of people, we may suppose, there remains in the depths of their being an ultimate interior openness to truth, to love, to God. In the concrete choices of life, however, it is covered over by ever-new compromises with evil. Much filth covers purity, but the thirst for purity remains and it still constantly re-emerges from all that is base and remains present in the soul. What happens to such individuals when they appear before the judge? Will all the impurity they have amassed through life suddenly cease to matter? What else might occur? 
St. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, gives us an idea of the differing impact of God's judgment according to each person's particular circumstances. He does this using images which in some way try to express the invisible without it being possible for us to conceptualize these images. Simply because we can neither see into the world beyond death, nor do we have any experience of it. Paul begins by saying that Christian life is built upon a common foundation, Jesus Christ. This foundation endures. If we have stood firm on this foundation and built our life upon it, we know that it cannot be taken away from us, even in death. Then Paul continues, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, from 1 Corinthians 3. In this text, in any case, it is evident that our salvation can take different forms, that some of what is built may be burned down, that in order to be saved, we personally have to pass through, quote, fire, so as to become fully open to receiving God and able to take our place at the table of the eternal marriage feast. Some recent theologians are of the opinion that the fire which both burns and saves is Christ himself, the judge and Savior. The encounter with him is the decisive act of judgment. Before his gaze, all falsehood melts away. This encounter with him, as it burns us, transforms and frees us, allowing us to become truly ourselves. All that we build during our lives can prove to be mere straw, pure bluster as it collapses. Yet in the pain of this encounter, when the impurity and sickness of our lives become evident to us, there lies salvation. His gaze, the touch of his heart, heals us through an undeniable painful transformation as through fire. But it is a blessed pain in which the holy power of his love sears through us like a flame, enabling us to become totally ourselves and thus totally of God. In this way, the interrelation between justice and grace also becomes clear. The way we live our lives is not immaterial, but our defilement does not stain us forever if we have at least continued to reach out towards Christ, towards the truth, and towards love. Indeed, it has already been burned away through Christ's passion. At the moment of judgment, we experience and we absorb the overwhelming power of his love over all the evil of the world and in ourselves. This pain of love becomes our salvation and our joy. It is clear that we cannot calculate the duration of this transforming burning in terms of the chronological measurements of this world. The transforming moment of this encounter eludes earthly time reckoning. It is the heart's time. It is the time of passage to communion with God in the body of Christ. The judgment of God is hope, both because it is justice and because it is grace. 
If it were merely grace making all earthly things cease to matter, God would still owe us an answer to the question about justice, the crucial question that we ask of history and of God. If it were merely justice, in the end it could bring only fear to us all. The incarnation of God in Christ has so closely linked the two together, judgment and grace, that justice is firmly established. We all work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Nevertheless, grace allows us all to hope and to go trustfully to meet the judge, whom we know as our advocate, or parakletos. A further point must be mentioned here because it is important for the practice of Christian hope. Early Jewish thought includes the idea that one can help the deceased in their intermediate state through prayer. See, for an example, 2 Maccabees. The equivalent practice was readily adopted by Christians and is common to the Eastern and Western Church. The East does not recognize the purifying and expiatory suffering of souls in the afterlife, but it does acknowledge various levels of beatitude and of suffering in the intermediate state. The souls of the departed can, however, receive solace and refreshment through the Eucharist, prayer, and almsgiving. The belief that love can reach into the afterlife, that reciprocal giving and receiving is possible, in which our affection for one another continues beyond the limits of death, this has been a fundamental conviction of Christianity throughout the ages, and it remains a source of comfort today. Who would not feel the need to convey to their departed loved ones a sign of kindness, a gesture of gratitude, or even a request for pardon? Now a further question arises. If purgatory is simply a purification through fire in the encounter with the Lord, Judge, and Savior, how can a third person intervene, even if he or she is particularly close to the other? When we ask such a question, we should recall that no man is an island entire of itself. Our lives are involved with one another. Through innumerable interactions, they are linked together. No one lives alone. No one sins alone. No one is saved alone. The lives of others continually spill over into mine in what I think, say, do, and achieve. And conversely, my life spills over into that of others for better and for worse. So my prayer for another is not something extraneous to that person, something external, not even after death. In the interconnections of being, my gratitude to the other, my prayer for him, can play a small part in his purification. And for that, there is no need to convert earthly time into God's time. In the communion of souls, simple terrestrial time is superseded. It is never too late to touch the heart of another nor is it ever in vain. In this way, we further clarify an important element of the Christian concept of hope. Our hope is always, essentially, also hope for others. Only thus is it truly hope for me, too. As Christians, we should never limit ourselves to asking, how can I save myself? We should ask, what can I do in order that others may be saved, and that for them, too, the star of hope may rise? That comes from Space Salvi, Saved in Hope, an encyclical by Pope Benedict. You can find it online. We'll put a link to it on our social media. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Robin Webster and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com and join their numbers. 
Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.